Welcome to the really useful podcast from MakeUseOf.com. My name is Christian Corley and I'm joined by Gavin Phillips. This is the tech podcast for technophobes in which we bring things that might appear to be complicated, etc., over your head, but it seems to maybe have some relevance to your life, and we break them down and make them simpler to understand. In this week's show, we'll be looking at some Windows-related issues that have popped up, some uh, apps that you might have that might be slowing down your computer, uh, a look at Windows Defender, and a new Windows 11 update. We'll also be looking at data recovery and how to get Amazon Prime cheaper. We'll also be looking at a couple of recommendations. I've got one, and Gavin's got one, or he'd better, and uh, we'll be discussing those <laughs> later and where you should maybe check them out. Gavin, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, Christian. Looking forward to getting stuck into a good week. And uh, how about yourself? Uh, pretty much the same. It's Monday morning. I'm, I'm feeling surprisingly chipper for the time of day and the day of the week. So It's always a good sign off on a good foot. Yes, well, let's hope so anyway. Um, so let's go into this. Anyway, there are two innocent-looking apps that are slowing down your Windows 11 PC. Now, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage here because I don't have Windows 11, so I can't really look into this in depth. But we've heard from G-Hacks. They've compiled several sources across the Internet about the chat and widgets effect on Windows 11, and disabling or removing them results in a noticeable improvement in system performance. What's this all about? It's interesting, actually, isn't it? So I've been using Windows 11 for quite a while, uh, since the very early days of Windows 11 development on the Insider Preview program, which, uh, if the listener doesn't know, it gives you early access to uh, versions of Windows that are yet to release. Uh Um, And so I've not really ever noticed this being an issue. Um, That said, I've never taken the additional steps to remove these things from my taskbar. So now that you've caught this to my attention, I think I know exactly what I'm doing after we uh, finish recording. (laughs) (laughs) The report begins by covering an article in Ars Technica, which claims that getting rid of the chat called Teams in the article and widget icon from your taskbar can save on RAM, which is due to how they both use Windows processes to work properly. When you use either, Windows 11 uses a process called WebView 2, which gives both processes access to Microsoft Edge without Edge actually having to load. Now, you, when you put it in that kind of context that they're kind of relying on the browser, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does, yeah. If they're competing effectively for the same resource as well. So once they're both going, you're almost doubling the effect on your system aren't you i like the fact that the fix for it is incredibly simple as well um and as per the gx article all you have to do is remove them from your taskbar which is a fantastically easy fix for a problem isn't it it is if only all of the fixes in windows were that easy yeah exactly (laughs) we'll move on um Microsoft Defender's got a bad rap over the years, and it's you know it's the built-in antivirus software in Windows. Um, it first arrived in Windows Seven or Vista. Yeah, as far as far back it's, as it, it there is was even, like there was basic stuff in Windows as far back as XP, really, wasn't there? Like built-in security features. Well, they weren't there originally, though, were they? I think they came with an update. Was but, it like the third? Yeah, second some, or third pack uh, update pack that came something out. But yes, like that. you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. I remember very long, long time ago uh, when uh, Kerry and I, uh, my wife and I, first before we even got married, f- first started cohabiting. 
Um, sorry if that offends anyone. Um, it shouldn't do in this day and age. But I, I, the first time we connected to the internet in the house that we lived in, and within 15 minutes, the computer was restarting itself because uh, we were using an unpatched Windows XP. And there was all sorts of viruses and stuff just floating around the internet, getting into computers that weren't patched and just bugging them and causing reboots. As soon as you got the um, necessary Windows update, that stopped happening. There's very little in the way of uh, system security in those days. Things obviously improved considerably. And now Windows def uh, Microsoft Defender, what you call it, not Windows Defender, Microsoft Defender is now an integral part of Windows. It isn't as bad as its previous uh, reputation would possibly lead you to believe. And in fact, I mean, this article aside, which we're, um, we're going to just discuss in a moment, unless you're visiting some very dodgy websites, you probably don't need an antivirus application these days, I don't think, do you? No, I don't. Th I don't think you need to spend the big bucks that no. a lot of people suggest you do for like a high-tech premium antivirus suite that's got loads of different tools going on on my computers i've been running microsoft antivirus and another tool malwarebytes uh, anti-malware for which i pay for the the premium subscription and the combination of those two programs keeps everything extremely safe and extremely locked down and as as Christian, unless you are visiting, you know, some pretty horrendous websites, you're not really necessarily going to encounter that much bad stuff. I think an important thing to consider, though, is that having a secondary tool like uh, something like Malwarebytes is good for clicking on, say, phishing links in emails and, and yeah. things like that. So when you try and open that link in your browser, malware bytes will pop up and say you don't want to do that and that yeah. goes oh thanks thanks very much i don't i don't want to do that um so microsoft antivirus is though very good at blocking you from opening uh like malicious files say you downloaded a file from the internet and it contains malware uh, Microsoft antivirus is like really good now at saying yeah don't do that because it's going to be a bad time now, to, to go into the story, though, uh, AV Tests, December 2021 report, that's where it all is. And, uh, you know, they've tweeted it to uh, give us some uh, in, more information about it. And you can check this out, along with everything else that we discuss in this week's show, in our show notes. During November and December 2021, they continuously evaluated 20 home user security products using the default settings you've got everything in this list from avast free antivirus avg avira bit defender bullguard f secure kaspersky all the big names and even some of the ones that you won't have heard of are in this list microsoft defender scored six out of six for protection performance and usability and it wasn't alone in that uh, there are other applications kaspersky mcafee bullguard avira they all scored 18 points in total so they've all done a really good job and there's very few of them haven't done a good job to be honest with you they're all between 17 and 18 points apart from two or three of them if you're interested they are k7 computing 16.5 micro world e-scan internet security suite you won't have heard of that 16 points pcmatic again you probably not one you've heard of 16.5 the rest of them are all really very good but microsoft defender is at the top 
with the best of the antivirus software for home users, which is really good news because it means you don't have to pay for extra software. As Gavin mentions, there are additional tools that you can use that will enhance your browsing experience and to improve online safety. And none of this really stops you from clicking anything until you've got something like that or downloading an email. I found using Gmail is really useful to prevent um, accidental downloads of viruses through email. These days, most people, most scammers, um, hackers, those guys that send out the uh, malware through email, they don't really use use email as attachments. They use it. They just give you a link in the email, a phishing link, as Gavin describes earlier. But if you are using an email client, there's always that risk. So if you're using an antivirus software that will integrate with your email client, that's a better option. Yeah, the difference between my Gmail accounts, which I have a few, and my personal account, which I run through uh, Microsoft Outlook, um, in terms of spam and malicious spam is is night and day. So I can open my regular email account, and I'm sure every listener can, can attest you open it and you think oh i've got 400 emails and within a few minutes it's cleared down to the two emails that you actually (laughs) want to read and the rest of it is like in Ah, your spam box yeah and clicking through and looking at your spam box as well you see that it's all the same sort of theme isn't it buy this click this you know take interest in that and as you said most of the time it is make sure you click on this link and that's where you get taken to a phishing portal where the scammers want you to enter your your details so yeah using something like uh, gmail is is really useful isn't it because yeah such good built-in spam spam protection yeah how many gmail accounts have you got uh quite a few for various things <laughs> yeah, same um uh, I've even I've created some over the years as well to host downloaded files for make use of as well. So when I click my little icon, it actually comes up with a list of like seven or eight different accounts. <laughs> I've heard recently, this is going off uh, our planned discussion though, I've heard recently that um, accounts that use the, um, the G Suite that were given like the free access to G Suite like 10, 11 years ago, they're coming to a close at the end of February. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, they're going to close and change. I think it was only uh, uh, biz- business ones, wasn't it? But yes, that is all going to change in the next next uh, few weeks. I'm not sure if mine's counted as a business one. I'm a bit concerned. Um, I, I need to get my finger no, out. How do you find out? I found out through a news report. I don't check the master email account very often because I feel that there's no need to because I just use it for administrative purposes. So. Yeah, I need to uh, look into that. I should be doing that now instead of talking to you, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We've got lots of important stuff to talk about. We have, (laughs) indeed. We're back with Windows 11. Uh, Windows 11's KB500-8353 update. It is designed to add a major performance issue for systems with solid-state drives. Again, I'm going to have to defer to Gavin's superior knowledge of Windows 11 here. Is there a problem with solid-state drives on Windows 11? Well, there have been issues with solid-state drive performance on Windows 11. Um, Lots of people, uh, you can find lots of reports online of people noticing after they'd upgraded from Windows 10 to Windows 11 that their read-write rates on their drive, that's how quickly the data goes to and from your computer to the hard drive uh they they noticed that it was 
significantly slower. And wow. it wasn't just a general feeling of my computer feels a bit slow. There's a lot of actual reports of people measuring the speed pre-update and post-update and finding that their data rates were significantly slower. So it is an issue that has been affecting people that have upgraded. That's incredible. I'm, I'm, I mean, there's obviously been problems with Windows releases over the years. That's the kind of thing that would seem like it would be resolved before it was publicly released? Well, I, I mean, I do have to give it to Microsoft in many ways. The jump from 10 to 11 has been significantly more painless than <laughs> from 7 and 8 to Windows 10. More painless or less painful? What did I say? <laughs> less painful, I would say. Okay. More painless? <laughs> There was less pain. Okay. <laughs> but um, there are still, you know, kinks in the process. And some of the kinks have been quite closely related to performance, like with the SSDs. Um, there was another issue where people running uh, AMD hardware instead of uh, Intel hardware were noticing that their performance was uh, degraded from Windows 10 to Windows 11. So as you said, you'd think that these were all things that Microsoft would spot in the testing process. Yeah. You want to say unfortunate, but there's also a, a heavy slice of why don't you see these things, Microsoft? Come on. <laughs> yes, you would. I mean, you can exp there is that whole, if they're testing completely in-house, then there's always that excuse that they're not going to see everything because there's no way they could have every single permutation of hardware but when you've got things like the insider program maybe that's when they would spot these things i would think so i thought that was a core reason of why the insider program started and was rolled out for windows 10 because it was going to be such a jump from windows 7 and windows 8 and 8.1 to windows 10 that they wanted to catch as many issues for as many hardware permutations as possible and even then that was still a massive hoo-ha and although the jump from 10 to 11 is less significant we're still having some issues I want to say they're the same level of issues because, you know, 7 and 8.1 to 10 was just, there were so many problems. Yeah. If you look back at Make Use of in was it 2015, 2016, a lot of our Windows coverage at the time was solely on fixing issues for people that had upgraded. Yes. Um, and we definitely haven't had that same level of uh, issues fixing with the Windows 11 update. So um, the details for that is basically um, you need to just uh, check for an update or wait for the update to download and apply, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a regular Windows update. It will appear in uh, Windows uh, Microsoft's update whenever it appears and you just update as usual. It doesn't require anything special. You click restart now once it appears in Windows update and, uh, and jobs are good. Excellent. We're going to move on now to a look at data recovery and how it works. Uh, if you've, um, which is convenient enough, given we've just been talking about solid state drives, uh, if you've ever lost data, you probably know this is a massive pain. Now, there are tools 
that you can use to uh, recover your lost data. But how, how does data recovery actually work? Gavin, who joins me on this week's really useful podcast, you've probably noticed, has um, explained this in a superb article for make use of. And uh, so what's, how does it work? What's going on there? Well, I think the core part of understanding uh, data recovery is understanding what happens when you hit delete. And so the feeling of you you hit delete and the file is gone. That's not actually entirely what happens, especially on a regular hard drive. So you hit delete and the file disappears from your screen. But in reality, on the hard drive, the data relating to the file is still there. So until another piece of information comes along and is written over the top of it, there's still a chance that you could go back and recover that file. Now, the data recovery process differs between how long it was deleted, how, like how you delete it, um, if the drive is, say, damaged or, or other sort of issues like that. But the long and the short of it is you can recover your data if you act quick enough. I have vast gigabytes of recovered data. I found that uh, one of the things that data recovery software doesn't do great is reorganize your data, particularly free recovery software. It doesn't reorganize your data as it was, or if it does, it doesn't give you the original names. It gives you just like an, a numerical string as the name and possibly even the wrong file extension. So you have, in, in many cases, you have to go through each file, which is largely impossible because there's so yeah. many files involved. Like if you've got a crashed hard drive, you recover everything from it, that's going to include the operating system, and you don't need those files anymore in most cases. No, absolutely. Figuring out what's useful data and what isn't useful data is, is really, really difficult. But some of the free options do it better than others. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, it depends on on how much data you're you're going for as well. So I've had a few occasions where I've only needed to recover a few hundred gigabytes of data and that comes back and it's quite neatly packaged. And if it's just one or two folders, you know exactly what's going to be in there, don't you? Yeah. But a much larger amount of data becomes uh, much more difficult to sort through. You can go for the paid options, paid software, but can be quite expensive, especially the really good ones. The free options, like you said, will recover your data but you could then end up spending hours figuring out what you've actually got back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one thing you can do is kind of just like judge it based on file sizes and stuff like that. It's... So the other thing as well is um, sort of the expense that can come with it if you need physical data recovery. Have you ever had to do that? No. I'm too so tight. I've got... Yeah. I'm from Yorkshire. <laughs> I do it myself. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a stack of four or five old hard drives that are broken in various ways, mm -hmm. but I'm fairly sure the data is still recoverable on them. And 
I'm waiting for the day that data recovery, physical data recovery becomes much cheaper because uh, I think it would cost thousands of pounds to recover the data from them. Um, so even though data recovery software is accessible to most people, if you actually need physical data recovery, i.e. you have to send your hard drive or solid state drive off to a, a specialist, you're still going to be looking at quite an expensive outlay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it can prove to be extremely expensive. So that's why I prefer to just use tools that you can buy. But I, I suppose those with physical issues, it's a kind of it's a different ball game, isn't it? You do need, as you say, you do need to uh, get a third party involved whose speciality is damaged hardware. Yeah, so we do have uh, a guide on make use of um, about how you can attempt to repair a, a dead hard disk drive to recover your data. Uh, it is, I would say, fairly advanced. Does it involve it, putting it in the freezer? Uh, I don't think it does. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> is that a trick? Is that a tip? That, that used to be to a actually there is there is actually a mention of uh, of it. But it used to be a trick back in the day that you would put it in the freezer, which would um, cause the metal to contract. So if that if the head was stuck, um, it would release. But it's one of those things that maybe works about two times out of ten. So. Yes, and I guess if you are going to do that, the key thing is to remember to wrap it up. Yes. Don't just put your hard drive straight in the freezer. <laughs> wrap it up, make sure it's completely airtight. <laughs> you don't just put anything in the freezer. Everything has to get wrapped up in the freezer, doesn't it, apart from ice cubes? So That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> How do you feel about getting Amazon Prime cheaper? There's a trick you can do, uh, which um, Patrick Karaoke has uh, explained and make use of. And, you know, because Amazon's raising its price of Prime in the US from $119 to $139. That's a $20 increase. But there's a way that uh, Amazon, American Amazon Prime subscribers can get around this by buying and sending themselves a gift of Prime membership at the current price. I feel like Amazon, if they don't already know about this, then they're going to stop it very soon. So yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> if you, if, if you want to get, if you want to do this and you, your prime's come to an end very soon, get on this exploit. Now uh, you head over to the gift of prime page on Amazon and buy a full prime membership for the current price of $119. You still have to pay the taxes on top. Then you send the gift to yourself. Then you leave the email there. Then you head to the Prime memberships under your account and turn off the auto-renew option so you don't get bumped up to the $139 price. Then when your current membership expires, activate your self-gifted Prime membership. And just like that, you get to stay on the $119 rate for an extra year. Uh, as we say, that's probably something that's going to end very soon. So take the opportunity to... In fact, we'll even let you pause the podcast. Go and do it now. And then... <laughs> unpauses for the next part yeah I, I when there's a loophole you've got to do it haven't you yeah and do it when fast. it comes to things like amazon prime you, you've got to do it yeah absolutely you 
you join us now on the section of the show in which we look at our individual recommendations. Uh, this basically means uh, something that we've done or experienced over the past week, or maybe two weeks, depending on when Gavin or Ben last appeared on the show. And then we share it with you because you think you might be interested or you know, take a look at it yourself or whatever. Uh, now, usually what happens is that I end up going first. Gavin, who's going first this week? We could do uh, rock, paper, scissors, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, after three, one, two, three, what have you got? I've got a fist, a rock. Oh, I've got, I've got scissors. Oh, oh no. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Every time. So, there is a game called Millie and Molly. It's just come out on the Nintendo Switch uh, last week. Now, it's not an expensive game it's a great game for kids it's kind of like a platform puzzler sort of a thing and it's about two little girls who uh tidy up monsters basically and there's a hundred levels set across five themed worlds it's a relaxed casual puzzle game it has a unique rewind undo feature and it has 8-bit 16-bit graphics modes and a relaxing retro soundtrack on the switch now the reason I bring this to your attention is, uh, as regular listeners may know, I have a bit of a thing about retro gaming. This game was initially released on the Commodore 64. And I'm not talking like 30 years ago. I'm talking like a couple of years ago. Uh, because there is still a Commodore 64 um, development community. And games are still released on the Commodore 64. And what's happened with this one, it's been picked up by Thalamus. Uh, Thalamus Digital, which is the modern incarnation of an old Commodore 64 development company called Thalamus. And it's been released on multiple platforms, including now, thanks to Thalamus, the Nintendo Switch. You can get Millie and Molly on uh, the App Store and on Google Play. Uh, although, actually, I think I might be right saying the google play version vanished but you can still get it for android and other methods but it's just really a, such a cool sweet game my uh, little girl my five-year-old has been playing it and uh, she's absolutely loving it it's developed by carlton handley who worked on uh, various games back in the day on the c64 but seeing this game on a 8-bit computer platform then kind of taking on a new life and moving on to other platforms is really quite amazing especially that it's a modern game that's created on old hardware yeah it looks uh really nice i must admit I'd, I'd not heard of it until you uh sent me the link through earlier christian but i've taken a look at it and watched some let's plays on youtube um and it looks really good it's got that really nice like you said retro platformer vibe the puzzles don't look overly difficult and i guess that suits because it's it is definitely aimed at children um and it just looks like a really good little fun game yeah it is yeah we've had a good time with it so far i'm not sure how far my daughter's got through it think further than me i've only managed to get to level 10 so far well that's often the case <laughs> quickly outpaced by the youth <laughs> yes absolutely uh, so that's my recommendation the link to that is in the show notes um obviously it'll be a link to the switch version but if you want to uh, explore that further by all means do so what have you got gavin so this week, Christian, I've got um, a universal USB high-resolution portable DAC, which is a digital analog converter. Um, 
this is a absolutely minute bit of kit as it is a usb DAC. so rather than um, a bit of hardware that lives on your desk and you plug your headphones and your microphone into it this is designed to plug straight into your smartphone all oh, right and so uh that comes with it's made by periodic audio i should uh-huh. mention that it's called the periodic audio rhodium um and it's got a usb type c to 3.5 mil headphone jack lead uh, it also comes with a regular usb c to usb type a converter and usb type a is the old school you know the big blocky one yeah um and the long and the short of it is you you take this tiny bit of kit you you plug it into your smartphone or your computer and it makes your music sound magically better it's it's quite incredible so it has the power to basically upscale your music to a different level um so if you were listening to something that sounded a bit bit rubbish bit pants couldn't hear it quite properly you plug this little bit of technology in and it just magically boosts up all the levels increases the sound quality and makes everything sound better it's quite hard to describe in terms of it being obviously an audio product and i am and i'm talking about it and obviously audio is is subjective (laughs) but it's one of those things where you you plug it in and you suddenly go wow why haven't i been using this Right. For years, why hasn't this been in my life before? Because using it, especially with something like a smartphone, for example, which they don't always have the best audio outputs. I mean, they're really good these days, but they don't always have the best. So plugging this uh, tiny USB DAC in uh, suddenly makes it yeah so much better. It's quite it's quite brilliant, I must say. Wow! And where did you get this from? Uh, I got this on the internet. Uh, it costs around uh, $50, roughly. You can find them on uh, Amazon, direct from Periodic, uh, and various other retailers. And they are well worth a look. There are other options, uh, portable USB DAC options available. This is definitely one of the best ones I've, I've ever used. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so check that out if uh, you want to uh, improve the quality of the audio on your mobile device. Will it work on a PC as well, did you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got a USB Type-C to USB Type-A converter. You could plug it straight into your your PC as well. Excellent. Okay, so that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast from MakeUseOf.com. Everything that we have discussed, recommendations, tips and guides, and the news at the beginning of the show, you will find in our show notes. Until next time, it's goodbye from us.